I'm Casey Finey, and this is Fast Company's Creative Conversation, a podcast where we tap into some of the most creative minds in film, TV, music, and beyond. We're tackling the mental roadblocks these creatives have encountered on projects or moments where they felt stuck in their careers. By diving into the problem, finding out how they overcame it, and the lessons they learned from it, you'll hopefully have a clear blueprint on how to manage your own creativity. Well, Sasha, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a long time in the making. I'm so excited to actually talk to you now. (laughs) Excited to be here. (laughs) So, I mean, looking at your background, your career could have gone in a couple of different ways. You have a degree in literature from Vassar. You were a Fulbright scholar. You worked in graphic design, and you were an illustrator, and you even did like theater as a kid. But you chose the path of drag. And so how did your education and your career kind of congeal into this drag career? The the truth is that I always wanted to do drag. I just was trying to find different ways to have that be a sustainable <laughs> career for myself. <laughs> I started putting on gowns and imagining myself as the heroine or villainess of every story I encountered at pretty much age four. And then pressures in the family and just having my eyes open and seeing how hard it would be to be a gender transgressor as a job, <laughs> um, I started pursuing other ways of telling yeah. stories, making uh, making my own queer world through traditional theater or through comics or trying to chart out the history of my, my gender nonconforming people through <laughs> academia. Um, right. Those, I feel like, were all different ways of me trying to do drag. Yeah. And it wasn't until I started putting lipstick and heels on as part of the expression of it that yeah. it really clicked. And I guess, like, what about that clicked? Because a lot of these, because with your drag, you really push, you know, um, uh, gender nonconformity and really you take a deep look at you know queer theory and so many different aspects but you can do all of that without drag so what about the lipstick and the heels adds that extra layer that makes it really click for you it's the the visual dimension mm-hmm. the for some some people might think of it as almost a superficial quality but I think that drag embraces the like the tangible and the glittering and the um the exterior because so often that's um, that's the realm that we're judged for. That's right. the realm that incites violence and anger and otherness. So we embrace it and make um, make those choices purposeful and intentional. Yeah. Glamorize and dramatize them <laughs> so that it's not something that we're afraid of, it's something we're proud of. Right. And when you look at just this vast landscape of drag. There's so many different styles, so many different approaches to it. How would you describe the space that you've carved out for yourself? Because your voice is very unique. I, well, I don't know about that. I, I, th- I feel so. like I feel like there's this long... I feel like there's a tradition of everything within mm-hmm. the drag world. It's in, in any person's art form, they want to try to figure out what they can offer that's new mm-hmm. to the discussion. And in trying to figure that out, I've looked, I've tried to look at the whole history of drag, and I've seen moments where it's been a really mainstream art form, um, and moments where it's been super underground and punk. And often those things coexist at the same time. I think there's um, the the biggest new thing to add, which I feel is the space I'm trying to carve out for myself, is actually drag performers as 
the producers of their own art form mm-hmm. as people who actually are able to profit off of it right. as um, as the director, as the um, as the business person behind the art form as well. So often in the history of drag, I've seen um, it's it's our art form, but someone else is profiting. Yeah. Someone else is controlling the discourse or framing it. And that to me, I guess, is is what I keep trying to do. Not just not just myself as an individual drag performer, but someone who uh, creates other opportunities for performers, who designs. I, I'm a, I love designing the stage. Yeah. I, I, when I was a little kid, I would always sketch drawings for what the world of a play would look like. Right. And I kind of see myself as doing that for drag performers today through the live shows that I um, that I produce and direct. Yeah. My monthly show, Nightgowns, has been running for over three years That's in amazing. New York. And we're gearing up to take it on a first national tour, <laughs> which is wild. That is wild. Um, and for that show, I select the cast to make sure that it's representative of all these different directions that drag can go. Um, and then I design the lighting and make sure that <laughs> the stage set is suitable for the kinds of performances that people want to do. And I design the posters and give it this like graphic design that runs through um, the entire process and kind of makes it all fit together and seem cohesive. And that's what that's what's really so interesting about you because because of your background in graphic design and being an illustrator, you're able to you're able to do these things. You're able to have. Uh, a very specific eye for what you want. So, I mean, I feel like for people who may not be familiar with your, with what you do on stage and your aesthetic, like, how would you describe it? Because <laughs> I have my words for it, but I want to hear from the person, from Sasha herself, how would you describe your style? Well, I mean, I guess I need to explain first off that I... My performance style is lip syncing, mm. and I am a huge fan of this um, <laughs> this art form. How do you put it all together? Because like you, you have the story of the song, but then you put it through your filter, and it just comes into this like mesmerizing <laughs> way. And you're not you. necessarily doing splits or death drops like most. I can't do. do those, so I have to find <laughs> something else. <laughs> so I mean, how do you put together a number? Because you've had some really some really iconic ones, Lady Gollum. Um, you. you. know, the, of course, the so rose much. petals from RuPaul's Drag Race, which we'll get to in a minute. But, like, <laughs> yeah, just walk me through the process of putting together a number, a Sasha Velour number. Sure. Well, I mean, I guess we could take um, The Man That Got Away mm-hmm. as a good example. It's classic Judy Garland song. Um, and I studied her... For that number, for example, I started just by studying her performance in the movie A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. Um and like the placement of her arms, and I felt like she actually was signaling different levels of openness with um, with where she put her head or where she put her arms. And because I'm, I don't have to produce the voice, right? I can focus in on the other languages that are being used to communicate something. Yeah. So I kind of started channeling some of those movements. But then I wanted to tell a different story, not about. Um, necessarily a broken heart in a in a romance. So many songs are about heterosexual romance. Right. Basically, <laughs> let me break it down. And I like in my performances to make it about anything but that. Yeah. So for me, I wanted to tell a story. When I heard the song, this story came to my mind of someone who feels like their life is falling apart because this authority figure in their life has gone, isn't providing that grounding mm-hmm. force. And then they realize um, 
in the process of tearing their hair out over it, that they actually have the thing that they were looking for within themselves. Yeah. That, to me, feels like a more empowering, <laughs> and Absolutely. that's more the kind of story I want to tell on stage than just, like, you left me and now my life is over. Right. So through, all I have to work with is the text and the music, which don't change, but I can make changes through my costume, through my face, through my movements on the stage. And sometimes when I perform, I don't do it in, in the case of this number, but I like to add even another layer through like a visual projection mm-hmm, on right. the background of the, of the stage. I'm always used to performing in bars that have a projection screen right. that you can pull down. So <laughs> it's very easy if you have an, another layer of right. communication as you can create these visuals behind you. Um, but for The Man That Got Away, I felt like transforming into this men's shirt and tie and hat that's kind of been like hiding within her costume this mm-hmm. whole time was the clearest way I had of telling that story. That's so good. Um, it's so <laughs> it is so amazing and I feel Thanks. like how looking back at your drag career I mean how would you say you've evolved as a performer because I know that you know you're very you're very big on producing shows and providing spaces for other performers to shine but you yourself are such a fantastic performer so did you oh, did you come out of the gate with those kind of high concepts in mind, or is that something that you added along the way? Oh yes, I've always yeah. had <laughs> high concepts. I was one of those kids who like Same. I always was directing music videos yeah. and living that whole fantasy. Yeah. You know what it's like. Um, Trust, I know. <laughs> but I, I'm one of the people who is just like so intense and like loves doing it so much mm-hmm. that. Like, I've made a career of getting to produce these musical m- music video fantasies right. in, in various ways on bar stages and now increasingly almost for real. Yeah. It's surreal. And, you know, not, it's not only just live performances because you have, uh, you have your magazine, you have, which turned into a beautiful coffee table book, you have, you know, the, your, your short film series that you, that you started doing. There's so many different ways that you've put your drag through this prism that's kind of shining in all these different facets. So being able to realize what you do as a drag queen through these different mediums how has that made you think about your creative process, knowing that these are different avenues like where you mm. can take your drag? Yeah, I think drag is inherently like a multidisciplinary project. And really every drag performer that I know, drag kings, drag queens, um, love to love to spread their work in different forms like that. Mm-hmm. Drag performers are natural business people. We know Absolutely. we're we're in the process of marketing ourselves um, just by stepping out in a look. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really are trying to um, to make a sustainable life out of being our authentic, fabulous, fluid selves. Right. So I feel like I've been thinking a lot about the, um, the different things that count as drag. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not just live performance. I think um, being a being a designer, being a political leader, appearing um, on talk shows and as a makeover consultant, like these are all things that fall within the realm of drag because the thing that really defines the art form is this act of of transgression in terms of 
quote-unquote normal presentation of gender right. um, that lends a theatricality to whatever we do. Uh, the minute you see someone in drag, you, they carry with them a whole kind of theatrical universe. Absolutely. And that can, that can happen on stage or it can happen at the grocery store right. or it can happen... Um, in boardrooms, I want to see it happen in some more <laughs> boardrooms and colleges and <laughs> universities. Um, but I think it's it's possible for um, for really everything to be part of drag. Yeah, and you know, of course, you won season nine of RuPaul's Drag Race at a really interesting time for the show because your season was um, the first season that was on VH1. They moved from Logo, which is a yeah. you know, huge upgrade network wise, uh, but also. It really, for people, for people in the mainstream who may not have been that aware of drag, it really has. Your season was one that kind of really pulled it in and really made it this force that we're that we're in right now, which is phenomenal. And I know a lot of people talk about uh, increase in booking shows and selling merch, like whenever they had this uh, this level of visibility, <laughs> which is amazing. But I'm always interested in knowing how people scale their creativity. Yeah, it's funny. I mean. To have a, the blessing of like large paychecks and many opportunities as a drag performer through exposure on TV, it's that's a huge deal. Yeah. I had never really realized how much not being able to be booked prior <laughs> had been a blessing of its own because it it gave me time to really prepare yeah. each each thing I put out there with so much intention and passion. And so there definitely was a period, I'd say like the first year even, where I I wanted to every time, really every time I went out on tour, I wanted to have a new number and new costumes because right. that's what I had gotten used to. That's what kept me kind of fed creatively as mm-hmm. an artist. Um, but eventually I started learning new strategies, things I hadn't tried before, like taking a number that was familiar and just editing it slightly. Mm. Like, I had never really edited my work before. That is interesting. Um, Is there an example of that? Yeah, well, actually, um, one of my oldest numbers, which is my Lady Gollum illusion. Classic. um, (laughs) I actually, the original performance, uh, I I just used the costumes that I had. Mm -hmm. I couldn't really invest any more in it than I already had. Um, so I had, like, a pink dress that I added a zip or two down the back. I ordered a, like, $5 Amazon Prime nightgown to be uh, <laughs> the the dress, the quote-unquote dress that Gollum is wearing right. when I reveal to Gollum <laughs> after uh, five minutes of Shirley Bassey lip-syncing. Um, and then when I had a chance, when I wanted to keep performing it, but it wasn't fresh for me to keep doing it in the exact mm-hmm. same costume. Right. So I devised something else and and worked on it. Um, And it was more manageable because I I maybe only had a week (laughs) to create it instead of, you know, a longer amount of time. (laughs) And so we created a sparkling, sexy, golem kind of striptease look. (laughs) So that instead of being just a a plain nightgown, golem was actually like the most beautiful part of the whole number right. which I felt like was actually I was able to be truer to my original attentions with the number which right. is that Gollum isn't like a descent into madness it's um, when you have so many feelings that you become Gollum it's like you're raised to this exalted right. <laughs> gorgeous beyond human sparkling 
desperate elf <laughs> state. <laughs> um, desperate and that was, I'm so glad that I actually did go back and made right. those changes because I felt like I was honoring the idea even more fully. Right. <laughs> so I was very positive. And, you know, going back to your show Nightgowns, I know that is must be just so taxing, but in a good way. There's a lot that goes into it, but kind of evolving from that, you're moving on to your one-woman show. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to be just you, Smoke and Mirror. So how did that... Talk to me about how that came about, like, why you decided it was time to kind of step into this, because this is the first time it's yeah. just you, because uh, Nightgowns is a collection of different performers, and you perform as well, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's you plus a lot of people. This is the first time it's just you. So yeah. how's that been... It's been challenging. I've always been such a huge fan of the review style drag show Mm -hmm. because I've always said like you can't you can't even understand drag just by seeing one performer. You can't you definitely can't appreciate like the brilliance of drag just through the mindset of one performer. You have to see like all the different ways, Mm -hmm. all the different gender expressions. Um, So it's hard for one person to pull that all (laughs) off. But it was important to me because. I sometimes I don't have the words to talk about the most personal things in my life, and lip syncing performances are used for that. Mm-hmm. But a lip sync performance is only maximum maybe seven or eight minutes if you really stretch it out. Right. And by nature, they have like a very simple narrative structure where there's like a beginning and then a, a conflict or some growth and then a dramatic resolution or mm-hmm. a reveal. Um, and I felt like that was a little too simple to talk about the ideas that I wanted to talk about. And I wanted to create a show about the ups and downs of the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, I, I felt like I needed to have many different moments back right. to back that charted the like exquisite reveals and discoveries and also the kind of like sad moments that don't lead to resolution, mm-hmm. the ambivalence. Um, and then... Ultimately, the whole thing is just a cycle, just like all human life, really. Right. Um, there are highs and there are lows. There are transcendent reveals and there are m- moments of stillness. Wow. Um, and so I put a I put a playlist together for the show. That's how it started. Yeah. Um, songs. So I knew at least, you know, if I'm terrible, at least they'll have some good songs to listen to for I two hours. You need to worry about that because, listen, cause I, saw, I saw the trailer for it and again, you know, using uh, like projections and it's just I saw you even being suspended in the air at one point. And when you're, when you're putting together, you know, specifically with this show, I would love to hear a little bit more about your creative process and pulling in these, you know, because you've been really big about multimedia, which I think is fantastic. You know, it adds so many layers to a performance. So walk me through that kind of creative process on, like, how you, you know, pick and choose what you want to add to your performance to make sure you're not taking – it's always adding and not taking away from the performance. Yeah, that's true. Um, I do a lot of tests to make sure that my ideas really work because it's hard to rehearse a drag number. Yeah, You – I mean – Get just getting into the look and the body <laughs> takes me you know, say, a like, half hour. <laughs> um, and then so much of it is the interaction between the performer and the audience, which I can never replicate home alone. Yeah. So 
I do different, I listen to the song a bunch and imagine different ways of performing to it. And then once I have an idea that I feel strongly enough about, I actually have a process where I draw like a comic book really? of the performance. That oh, is wow. Because sometimes I, I'll take notes, but I feel like I can't quite get my ideas down unless I draw a picture. Because mm. it's not just what I'm going to be doing. It's, it's like so visual. the pose of my body of in the costume, in the place, in the stage. Right. And then being able to, uh, because I figured out how technologically <laughs> to turn a projection screen behind me into the illusion of a large theatrical set, right. I use that to create changes in my environment. Because it's like, how do you keep a plain black stage with a, with like a empty white screen behind you interesting and different right and i love being able to use video projection because it's kind of like it's kind of like drag you know it's it's okay that it's just the the surface of something more the fact that it is so, so only happening on such a surface level means you can change it very quickly yeah um so i do that with my costumes and with the projections and it allows like a real um allows me to build a whole universe around the number Mm -hmm. so that my little drawings that I do can fully come to life. That's amazing. And then I actually, for this project, I went even a stage further because I knew it would be complicated and potentially expensive Mm -hmm. to create these videos that had video of me and animations Mm -hmm. all mixed together. So I had to get it right on the first time (laughs) and do it efficiently. (laughs) So I made an even more intense plan, which is I created basically frame animation of the entire show in Photoshop. <laughs> what is wrong um, with you? <laughs> and then animated oh it in God. iMovie because I had to see how it all worked with the music. And I actually needed to be able to test whether my ideas looked okay when I sat back and imagined myself as an audience member. So <laughs> it really is like... <laughs> These are the details that people need to know about you because if, I think a lot Crazy of people person. just like, no, a person who cares and a person yeah. who's passionate about what they do because I think, you know, some people may think like, oh, you know, she's, a, she's just up there in front of a screen just like, you know, looking <laughs> gorgeous. And, right, no, and you're just like sweating over... Like, well, sometimes I still don't know my own damn choreography that I made up on stage, but it all works as part of the <laughs> whole picture. And I think... You know, obviously, when going back to Drag Race for a minute, you know that's that is a is a competition where you're you're forced into doing things out of your comfort zone. Yeah. You know, because there's sewing challenges, or singing challenges, mm-hmm. there's you know team challenges, or so many things that you as a drag performer may not have done in your own career, and now you're doing it not only in front of you know RuPaul but the <laughs> world and. How how has that experience of on Drag Race being pushed out of your comfort zone? How has that shaped you mm-hmm. leaving the show? Yeah, well, I mean, it's had a huge positive impact. Mm-hmm. I think um, Drag Race forced me to show people that I could do all sorts of things that I didn't even know I could do. Right. Um, I, I think that was such a good challenge, mm-hmm. uh, but it also gave me like a drive and a hunger to do work of my own invention um, and to devise my own performances. Because I think sometimes um, when people watch the show, they don't even realize that we as performers love and have passion about creating our own 
concepts and shows mm-hmm. from the ground up because so much of the show is about um, like scripted performance of or imp- improvised comedy mm-hmm. and it's like actually preparation and planning is something that drag performers really geek out over yeah. <laughs> I find um, and so it it's made me crave even more of that yeah I can see that and you know you have been you know such a champion of making drag even more of an inclusive space you know going back to nightgowns obviously you're pulling in you know drag queens and kings and just every just different you know how they identify with their gender their ethnicity all of it and I think that's such a beautiful thing and I know some people still view inclusivity as kind of a box to check but I do think that (laughs) there's so much you can learn seeing the world through someone else's eyes so through the work that you've been doing in making the drag community and you know the LGBTQIA plus community as a whole like more inclusive and more understanding about other people in the community how has that impacted your own drag like is there an instance where you saw a performance from somebody that's you know out of what you do and say like oh wow wait a minute (laughs) <laughs> maybe I can do that, or like maybe that make that that helps me see how I perform or how I present in a different way. Like, Absolutely. how have you been influenced by? It's hard to even chart, frankly, yeah. just because I've seen so much drag and I'm influenced by everything. Yeah, um, and of course, not just drag too, but of like course. mimes and clowns Absolutely. and ballet dancers <laughs> really get me going too. Right. Um, uh, but it's one thing that I've noticed to that point. I've I've become like such an amateur buff on the history of drag Mm -hmm. and throughout time it's there always has been a sanctioned space for like really cis men to dress up in women's clothing right um and that's really only a small part of drag itself but only in progressive modern societies have like women and trans people and non-binary people been allowed to even perform on stage, period, mm-hmm. let alone be, like, championed in it and um, seen for who they are as right. drag artists or theater artists or however they want to be defined. And so I think part of advancing drag <laughs> past the present moment, the thing that we really can bring that is new to the art form is that kind of representation and... Not even not even inclusivity, but just like uh, platforms that really are even accessible right. <laughs> to everyone, yeah. opportunities that really are available to all. Yeah, wow. and you know, thinking <laughs> when you think back on your career, is there in talking to you and knowing how detail oriented you are <laughs> and how you know multifaceted you are and in your art. Is there a moment where you just really felt stuck in a creative sense? Like, was there, you know, uh, uh, a problem that you just hit this major, you just had this major roadblock in mapping out a show or, you know, putting together a costume or whatever it might be? (laughs) What would you say has been been the most, like, (laughs) (laughs) what would you say has been your most significant creative roadblock? Um, If you had to pinpoint one. Most significant creative roadblock, mm-hmm. if I had to pinpoint one. Um, I, I mean, that could go quite deep. There are some, like, lasting things that I keep returning to. <laughs> um, but 
I think, for, no, just to be really honest, I think self-confidence has been, is really? continues to be a major roadblock. Yeah, I know it seems, because so much of what I do is give the impression that I'm on the top of the world. Uh, that is part of, goes hand in hand with being in drag. Right. And I think that makes it even harder to really be honest about the fact that, mm. like, m- half of Every process is me wondering whether I should be doing it at all. And I think it is important that there's some feature that tells me I have to do it anyways, even if I'm not sure. Um, But that's my biggest enduring creative, creative and life project is working on, like, truly believing and knowing and trusting in my own ability to actually pull this off. Even now, even now that you obviously, you know, won the show, <laughs> you've won the hearts of so many people and you have you you're this the house of lore is only growing. So do you still feel that that lack of self-confidence to be really real? Yeah, to some extent wow. it doesn't. But it's I'm at peace with that. I know that that's part of my personality. I know my family is a long line of self-doubters, anxious, <laughs> nervous, um, uh, hardworking people. But um, I also think that there's this idea, because this is, um, it's kind of the Wild West almost for drag, and there's there's very little regulation. There is this sense of scarcity that's kind of like pushed through the drag community and mm-hmm. the drag economy. And I feel like we're all kind of fighting to get past that, to yeah. realize, to make enough sort of different platforms for drag mm-hmm. that we're not all competing for the same small and not even that desirable chances. Right. And I think when there can be, like, when when we can be really taken seriously as artists and business people and comedians and dancers and creatives just generally, I think... Um, it's going to be a lot easier for us to own our power and our skill. Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good point. And, you know, in thinking about what you said about kind of battling that self-confidence, I think that's a lot of people in the artistic profession have that exact same mm. feeling. It, you, you, you know, you can make your get accepted, your short film could get accepted to some festival or you could, like, you know, have a story published in Yorker and you still feel like... Yeah. What am I doing? So how Maybe do you... even more because there's a disconnect from right. like the success you're experiencing in your own exactly. like right. shitty self-image. <laughs> so, I mean, how have you? Because I think it'd be for anybody who's in the creative space, like it would be helpful to hear like how yeah. you've kind of worked through that. And and, and you know, there's no. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's one of those things like where there's no end goal in saying right. like, I'm cured. Yeah, it's not the drag. <laughs> the drag number version. The four minute drag number version is like she's cured. Right, she exactly. discovered you it do all. You reveal and you're fine. <laughs> yep, yep. Revealed, everything solved. Um, but, but the real life version is that that lasts for four minutes, and then you're like, oh, "Is that real? Did I just really do that?" Um, how do you process that? How do you how do you get to a, a place where that's not clouding your mind so heavily? I guess I've been trying to really lean into the fantasy of drag. It does carry with it some delusion, some level of delusion, and that is actually like an artistic indulgence that's very helpful to yeah. survive the world. Um, this <laughs> insistence that you... Um, this that It's sort of like purposeful insistence that 
this around us is is not the real world and that the real world is one that we create on stage a kind of utopia of queer empowerment that is diverse and representative um, that is safe physically um, that's opulent and affluent for us and we create an alternate universe of that and then we have to co-sign it on stage and as a group and I feel like I can replicate that process like in my own mental health a little (laughs) and be like no you are fabulous (laughs) Um, it's hard to step into that but honestly putting on like a steel bone corset and 10 inch platforms really does it's hard not to look in the mirror and be like hold yourself a little higher and feel that you really are royalty <laughs> I mean listen and you wear the crown so well but, Thank you. <laughs> I mean looking looking at what you've what you've done so far with the House of Allure and live performances and merch and the book and all these things I know I know you're thinking about where else you can extend mm-hmm. drag so what like where where do you want to see where what other spaces do you want to move in that you think you can it can be kind of like a mutual uh a symbiotic relationship of you elevating that space and that space helping to elevate your drag. Totally. Like, what spaces are you thinking about? Well, my invading? like the most immediate <laughs> focus is the the areas where drag is really being shared and mm-hmm. spread right now are um, like press and social media mm-hmm. and television yeah. and live performance, but actually in almost. Very few of those cases are drag performers themselves, like, organizing behind the scenes to make that happen, or even really profiting off of the success. And so I feel like that's my first target, is yes. the, to get control of, of to, to get drag performers like myself and like the people that I love and respect mm-hmm. at the table in those conversations so that... Um, our stories are being told more accurately and so that we're benefiting from it the way we should in our community is. And then then I, I think there's so much more. It's, it's crazy that uh, queer people and drag is so often like used as an inspiration for the fashion industry, oh, but it's like we can it's very rare that we can uh, get more attention than just as a, as a model or someone wearing the clothes. But in fact like we're coming up with groundbreaking fashion concepts every day. Especially <laughs> um, you. <laughs> thanks. And I so I, I did get to um, to organize a fashion show for That's opening right. ceremony, That's which was right. such yeah. an amazing experience. And I cast a whole group of, like, uh, queer, trans, non-binary influencers and, like, fashion icons that I love. If you... <laughs> I honestly want to sit here and talk to you all day. But <laughs> it's like, look at the clock and I'm pushing it right now. But... If you could leave our listeners with one bit of creative advice, a creative lesson to live by, so to speak, what would it be? Oh, my God. (laughs) I I think that, I mean, I reflect on the things that fill my life. And I obviously feel so passionate about drag and about what I do, about dressing up and creating this fantasy that I, like, regularly stay up all night, tear my hair out, so to speak. Yeah, so to speak. <laughs> um, well, like, tear it out with tweezers. Basically <laughs> invest all of my money and time yeah. into this, into doing my best at this thing that I love. Okay. 
And I feel like that everyone should have something in their lives that make the, that makes them behave in such an extra manner to go to such extra lengths to that they really almost like are beyond normal life when it comes to this thing and i feel like that has sustained me through through hardships and uncertainty my passion for the thing that i love and i feel like everyone needs to figure out what that is for themselves i love that Sasha, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Make sure to rate, comment, and subscribe if you like what you've been hearing. And I'll see you next time.